Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Today I'm joined by Morgan J. Ingram. Uh, great conversation. He is one of the top voices on LinkedIn uh, around sales, around narrative, around messaging, and has a fascinating background uh, from selling Pokemon cards, which you'll hear about today, um, through his youth, through to now talking about content, talking about marketing, talking about LinkedIn, posting, and how you get through the sales process. And therefore now what he's trying to do is balance that sales and marketing and taking that leap to do both. And he'll talk about the UFC um, analogy about fighting at two weights uh, on that. So fascinating conversation. Looking forward to hearing your feedback on Morgan J. Ingram. Morgan, tell us a bit about yourself for those listening, your background, where you've come from. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. No one probably cares about where I was born and where I was. <laughs> no, go on. Take us back. Take us uh, back. <laughs> born in 1992 in the night. Uh, no. So I, uh, I'm, the, I'm the oldest of three and uh, two younger brothers and grew up, born and raised in Atlanta and always just had an appetite for doing things that were out of the norm. Uh, like the first thing that I did that led into to sales, which also was marketing at the same time, was selling Pokemon cards. So it was like yeah. my uh, claim to fame. So we, and this is, this will make everyone laugh. So we got really aggressive about it. I'd buy cards from China, uh, get them shipped here, and then sell them to people like in private schools, public schools, et cetera, uh, and make money. And so at the time, like when you have a shoebox of money and you're like, I don't know, 10 to 11 years old, you think that you have hit the jackpot. You're like, <laughs> I'm, I'm incredible. I'm a millionaire. Right. But like, obviously yeah. that's not the case. Right? <laughs> um, so it was a, it was a really, it was a really exciting uh, time there. And then everything just kind of evolved from there. I always tried different things. I was very active in college and all the things across the board. And the biggest thing that really was a shift in my career was starting a company my spring semester in college with a good a good friend that we both know, Brian Wish. That's actually how we mm -hmm. became yeah. really good friends. So he started the Wish Dish, which is what his company was called. I started Collegiate Gaming Land. I hosted video game tournaments on college campuses, uh, which was a which was a ton of fun. Uh, made it a profitable company. I don't know how. I don't even know what I was doing, but we did it. And what this was kind of what led into like my sales career and what led into speaking. So I got in the red and black, which if y'all don't know what the red and black is at the university of Georgia, it's like the main newspaper. Okay. So because of all the stuff that we were doing, um, me and my co-founder got invited to do an interview, which was like a massive deal. I had no yeah. idea this was happening and it was really cool. And so because that was in the publication, organizations at UGA wanted us to come or me speak about how did I find this idea? What are you doing? How are you doing this during school? So I spoke at one of the organizations and I didn't really like, I didn't really care for public speaking. I just did it because it, you know, whatever I'll do it for you. But the feedback I got after the talk was so motivating for me and so inspirational that mm -hmm. I was like, huh, Maybe I should do more of this. So as I continuously did more for organizations, I ended up doing it for like other places. After college, after I didn't want to do the company anymore because we had a team of college people that didn't want to do it, I actually went into public speaking like full time after college and started doing it for like middle schools, high schools, colleges, etc. Uh, it took a while to get paid because I didn't have any like, hey, I've done this incredible thing. I just continuously just got better at speaking. 
But then I realized that that wasn't really for me. And then I went into sales because of that. And from, from doing that, I actually met with the National Speaker Association at, in Georgia. I met someone there. They told me to get into tech sales. Then I got introduced to someone, ended up calling them, got the interview, became a sales development rep. And then that's when everything changed for me. About five months into the role, I created a YouTube channel called the SDR Chronicles. So I documented my entire journey as an SDR. And I was talking to someone about the other day. It just, looking back on it, it was a wild moment because hmm. people weren't creating content on LinkedIn at the time and no one was documenting their journey as a sales rep. So everyone was like, hey, come do this, do that. And I was getting like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of messages per week about, <laughs> hey, I need help here. I need help with this. Da, da, da. And I was just continuously giving out that advice. And over and over time, I got invited to panels and things of that nature. And it was it was crazy. And yeah. so due to that increase in brand, I got promoted to an SDR manager. So I managed a team of 13 people. I got approached by a sales trainer, John Barrows, who did sales training for Salesforce, Slack, and Google, and things of that nature, to be the first sales trainer there. So I did that for three and a half years. And Colin, the, this, the interesting part is that most people are like, oh, well, you should just continue to do sales. Clearly, it was working yeah. for you. Um, <laughs> but like, at the end of the third year of doing sales training, I didn't love it anymore. I didn't have the passion no. for it. My mm-hmm. heart wasn't truly in it. And that was a hard decision for me to make to like not do that full time anymore because I was I was good at it. I trained Salesforce, yeah. I trained Zoom, uh, I trained Slack, you know, all the companies that you'll probably have used before I've trained them. Mm. And it just wasn't for me. And I realized I had to ask myself a question, like, what does Morgan want to do? And like, what do I want to do to be like 0.01% of something? Like, what would I do to get there? And I realized that it wasn't sales, it was content and creative content and employee advocacy and all these things I'm working on right now, I realize I'm way mm-hmm. more passionate and actually better at that. And that's actually how I got here was through my content. So since then, started my own company, Essential Media Productions, essentially focusing on amplifying brand narratives through organic content with employee advocacy programs and customer advocacy programs. And that's been my focus since I launched it, I guess, three months ago. Mm-hmm. So new path, new transition. Uh, that's everything about me. Uh, I know you probably have a ton of questions now, but that's essentially the origin story. I'm interested in the thread because, you know, for me, I was sales, started in sales, and I, I lost, I almost lost faith in the sales process. And I wanted to reinvent. And I started to go back to the content piece to say, so what is my content? And it was only when I, Firstly, discovered a medical repping. I got to this osteoporosis, started to really connect with the patient. Therefore, I had a narrative that was within that that I could believe in and I could sell. And now, with my own company, I have a narrative that I can sell. So I'm interested in in the first part of your sales career and training, how strong the narrative versus the ability to be confident going to sales call. How strong was the narrative at that point in your mind? Yeah. So the narrative for for myself to sell and my confidence or the narrative Mm -hmm. that I was telling other people at the time. Cause I think those are both really because, cause that's, that's where you've gone to in the second part of your career is the narrative and the the content and the brand. But for me, almost those two dovetail. So it's where you being yourself, were you teaching about you and how you were in the brand narrative or were you putting through a process for people to go through? How are you teaching? Yeah. So the way that, the way that I see this, um, is 
there was a lot of there's a lot of sales trainers, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, okay, I can't just say like I help you sell. That's or I help mm. you get top of the funnel. That's not what it was. I had to look. So when you think about a narrative, you have to think about like what are we uniquely positioned to do mm. that or myself to do that other people cannot do. So what I did is I was like, all right, I'm training people on how to prospect. I've I've done that before, right? Mm-hmm. I know how to do that, right? So I was like, all right, what did I do differently to be successful than everyone else while I was prospecting? Right? You can ask, what was I what was I personally doing? And I was like, well, I was doing things out of the box to break through the noise. I was doing right. like videos, I was doing like GIFs or GIFs or whatever you want to call them nowadays, right? I was doing like images and, and emails. I was doing different cold calling intros that no one was doing. And I was like, all right, well, how I how I need to position myself is I'm going to teach your team how to do out of the box strategies and really good, good at like sales navigator and things that people aren't talking about. Like, oh, because I don't have the 20, 30 years sales experience, like this is, this is the crazy part. I had only been two years in sales and I got asked to go do sales training for a big company. Yeah. Those are right? so it's, teach. Yeah. <laughs> right, so it's like, okay, like, oh, what are you going to teach us? Like you've only yeah. been in for like two years. So I had to think about how can it be so innovative? That is something that people haven't thought of. And that was my unique advantage going into these organizations. I was doing things that like no one had thought of before because that was the only advantage I really had. I didn't have the, Hey, I've been around for a long time and I have these massive stories. I just know that the things that I'm going to tell you are just so different that they will get you responses. So my narrative was just like helping you break through the noise. And that's how I sold it. And that's how I approached it. And that's how I got invited to things where people were like, how can I break through the noise? How can I be innovative? How can I be different? And that's always my mantra is like, be different. And so that was my whole entire thing when it came to the sales lens. Now, Mm. that's me. That's what I that's what I leaned on. Innovative prospecting, break through the noise. That's what I was known for, still known for to a certain degree, that was the focus. Now, when I when I talked to different clients, prospects, or whoever they, whoever I was training, I told them, what makes you different than your competitors? Now, it's the mm-hmm. use, it's the store, it's the case studies, right, mm-hmm. that you have from your customers. That's what's going to make you uniquely different. But also, like, what actually makes you different? And so, if you, this is a good example of people listening in if you've used video products before i'll give you like three products and how they're different but they do the same thing so a video product essentially you can make a video you can send it to someone and then they can watch it right so the three products i'm going to mention are vidyard loom and let's do wistia so Mm -hmm. loom which i use quite frequently their whole narrative is doing videos to save you from being in meetings Mm -hmm. that's their whole entire thing it has nothing really to do i mean i've talked to them they have nothing they don't really care as much about the prospecting or the selling solutions. Mm. Yep. They actually care more about like you're a founder, startup, you're an IT, you're in customer success. Can you just do a quick recap of something so I don't have to hop on a Zoom call with you? Mm-hmm. So they're all about efficiency and saving time. You think of like Vidyard, they're all about like prospecting, SDR sales reps, you need to go get top of the funnel. Here's a creative way to reach out, which is, you know, in my beginning days, that's what I used because that was Mm. what their narrative was, right? It was the best solution for that. Then Wistia is another video product, but they're actually more focused on like marketing. So are you going to house your like marketing assets, your webinars and things of nature inside of Wistia? Now, you could all Mm. use them for selling and for prospecting, but 
Vidyard was more positioned for that as well. And even those new products like Vouch, uh, et cetera, kind of bonus to this is they're focusing on the full customer journey. So they're focusing on prospecting, selling, and also customer success. So my point is, is that every company can have a different narrative, even if they still have the same product. And my belief is that it's becoming more of the same product. You launch something and three to four months later, like people can get the funding, get the money, and then have the same features as you. So you're not like, oh, yeah. we're completely different. It's just how you position yourself and what your messaging is. You can even say the same for Coca-Cola and Pepsi, right? I'm biased because I'm in Atlanta and obviously I'm going to say Coca-Cola. But the thing is, mm. their messaging and Pepsi's messaging are so drastically different. <laughs> but yeah. Pepsi and Coke are essentially the same identical product. Serum Mist and Sprite are the same identical product. So that's just how I think about it. I love it. So I want to dig into a couple of things because, you know, us Brits, you know this, you've worked in London. Us Brits just, sales is such a dirty word over here. It's like, <laughs> I don't sell. I'm not a salesperson. You're a salesperson. Get yeah. out of my house. Get off my telephone. Yeah. So I'm interested in your views on that because even within our team, you know, uh, I talk to the team and I start to talk about Loom. Start to, I, I love actually the other day, just a little aside in Loom. I yeah. went in, there's a typo in one of their main videos for how they sell. And all I could fixate on was the typo. And I'd missed the whole point about it doesn't matter because, as you say, it was a quick way of getting a message across. Yep. But I wondered whether that was deliberate having a typo in there so somebody would spot it and remember Loom the other day because of the typo. Anyway, side it, it story. Could, it could have been. Let's I mean, go back <laughs> in. It could have been. Yeah. <laughs> Loved it. It's <laughs> like, so I'm telling everybody, I wouldn't believe there's a typo. Where was that? Loom. So they're spreading the message even through a little error in there. I want to come back to the... It's almost a mindset around sales and how you do that. And it goes back to the narrative and how you got more innovative. And I love that concept. But how do you teach people to do that? Because a lot of people go, oh, I'm not innovative, I'm not creative. How do you teach it? Oh, and in terms of the, the creative around using video or are thinking about this narrative? Just being creative and, and even just think about the narrative. Because think about, let, let me give you an example. We are in an industry where leadership and leadership can, in some cases, in some people's mind, be the most boring thing in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to be innovative in our space is is to differentiate, and that's what we're trying to do. So our teams struggle to say, so how do we make ourselves innovative? How do we come across as bold, disruptive, and different in there? Yeah, because so, they don't believe they are. Yeah. Yeah. I, so when I had my team speaking from a leader perspective, I would always be like, "All mm. right, what is everyone else doing?" So we start there, hmm. right? Like, all right, everyone's sitting like long emails. All right, cool. We know that. Or everyone's doing the same exact cold call intro. Okay. Everyone's doing this direct mail campaign right now. All right, great. So we just we just li- we just listed everything that everyone's doing. I was like, all right, so like, what could we do that's the opposite of that that could be better? Hmm. Right? And so now we're thinking, okay. okay, so like if it's a long email, could we do a short email that just asks the question? All right, mm-hmm. that gets, yeah. because I think when people think of creativity, they think like they need to do some grand experiment, add an AI. There needs to be like a UFO, right? There needs to be fireworks. It doesn't <laughs> creativity doesn't mean that you need to go. I'm thought about that though. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> you can take it. Someone yeah. can take it, but you do. You don't need yeah. to do that, right? What What do you actually need to do? Mm. You need to focus and be like, hey, you know what? What do we What do we need to do? That's the opposite of everyone else. Right. That's really the mm. cornerstone of creativity because it will be different. So what we did is we'd be like, all right, let's do like one question emails. We literally sent an email. It was just a question that we knew was a pain point and people would respond. Right. That <laughs> was interesting. Um, another thing that we looked at was 
everyone was doing whiteboards with their video. They have the person's name and like wave. So we decided to like start doing something different. We're like, all right, what instead of like we have our face, what if we start screen sharing their LinkedIn profile? Right. So we would do a video and walk through their profile and like hover over it and talk about what we saw in the profile while reaching out. We would do it on websites. We would actually pull up our case studies and talk about our case studies as an overview. That was different during at that time. Now everyone, you know, caught on and started doing it. But the thing is, I always just think about what is everyone else doing and how can I do it differently? And one of the best examples of this is not the production level of this because it's going to intimidate people, but it's something to think about. Mr. Beast. Now, mm-hmm. if you're listening in, you're, you, you or your your kids 100% have heard of this, have heard of Mr. Beast before, right? Mm-hmm. He's the largest YouTuber in the world. Now, the way that he goes about his videos was drastically different than the top YouTuber at the time, which was PewDiePie. Mm-hmm. So if you look at PewDiePie's videos and Mr. Beast's videos, they're drastically different, but they both have millions and millions of subscribers. So if you think about who's the next Mr. Beast is going to be, it's not going to be the same thing that Mr. Beast is doing. It's going to be something drastically different than that. And so that's why I always tell people, you have to look at everyone's doing and be like, how can I do that in a a different way? And Mm -hmm. even right now, like that's what I'm doing. But also you have to be patient with that. And that's Mm -hmm. even me speaking to myself. You have to be patient with that process because if you're doing something different, People are going to receive it differently because they're not used to it. So you have to get it time. But over time, I'll catch on and be like, wow, that was that was something that no one's ever done before. That's cool. Yeah. So it's it's about innovation. It's about different ideas. It's about getting mind share of the person who's opening probably hundreds of these emails or connection points in here. So how as a leader do you set people up? Because that's the other challenge for us yeah. is Training salespeople, great. And as a salesperson, I used to almost want my leader to disappear, get out <laughs> yeah. of my way, you know, and let me sell. But leadership and sales, and particularly if you're a player coach where you've got your own sales target and you're trying to motivate, is a difficult job to do. So what's your views on that? Extremely difficult. We would lean on the 80-20. So uh-huh. we would, every single rep, 80% of the things you do, it's going to lead to hitting your number. So we didn't yeah. have to worry about it. Now, are there going to be areas where like you don't hit your number? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sales. Like that happens sometimes. However, the 20% would be like, let's try something new because mm. I think what happens is a lot of people are like, let's try something new. And then ends up being like a hundred percent of the things that they do. And then you end up faltering, you fail. That's not what you want. So ultimately like how I focus on this and what I do is just say, Hey, let's figure out what can we do this month in the 20% that will be different. We change the subject line, we do a video, we try a video proposal, we do a direct mail, uh, maybe we do a different email campaign. There's so many different things you could do different. We ask a question that we haven't asked before. These are things that we're gonna do to see like how can we be successful. And and that's ultimately how I want how I would want to go about it. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So I'm hearing innovation, I'm hearing freshness, I'm hearing mm-hmm. on top of your your game, observing, monitoring people what they're doing and keeping the freshness. Just thinking about the receiver of this, because this is, you know, in classically in the US, I think you're more used to this. In the UK, if I get a LinkedIn request and the first question is, hey, how, the first question is, hey, how are you doing? I immediately never reply to that person again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like it's a sign of this is going somewhere. Even so, I'm interested in how consulting market's going at the moment. I still don't go for that open question. So, so for me, the, the innovation is one thing, but the length of relationship is important 
for me. So how do you transition from that initial contact into, and it's probably linked to your narrative work that you're doing as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest, if we go back to like how, you know, the, the Brits will view sales, I think that's the biggest disconnect, right? When you, because of how it's positioned in the States. So if you watch like Wolf of Wall Street, Boiler Room, mm. movies like uh, um, Glenn Berry, Glenn Ross, right? So if you watch these movies, you're yep. like, okay, sales is aggressive, <laughs> right? No one cares. <laughs> like I gotta be, I have yep. to be a certain type of person. And that's not really the case. Sales is ultimately a puzzle. It's really all it is. Because nice. if you think about yeah. a puzzle, what are the first four pieces you always go for? Corners. Yeah. Corners, right? Which the corners equals the mm. sales process. Everyone has like a, this is the sales process, right? We have call one, call two, call three, call four, you know, however long your sales cycle is, right? You always grab yeah. the corners. There's always a fundamental black and white thing about sales, right? Mm. But where you start after the corners is all dependent upon the sales rep and how they build the relationship. Hmm. And that is something that is, it becomes intuitive over time for everyone. Hmm. And so if you think about how do you add your narrative in there, you add your narrative by good discovery, right? But then once you hmm. identify what the current state is for that person, you need to then paint, a, paint them a picture of what the future state is, which is you completing the puzzle for them. Because they're trying to solve mm. something. They obviously have a problem. They're talking to you. There's there's obviously an issue. No one's gonna spend 30 minutes to talk to someone if I don't have an issue, right? That's not gonna it's not gonna make yeah. any sense. Right. You don't you don't go to the doctor saying, Hey, I'm good today, like and I'm just here, right? Like, yeah. you know, like, like there's I, a few people that do, and that's why the doctors are always busy. <laughs> right, right, right. Just but, go for a conversation. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the thing's like for the most part, you're going there. So that's how I think about it, is that yeah. like I figure out what's going on and how can I paint the picture in a unique way of like, hey, this is how I think about things. And and, and stating mm. that out, hey, this is how I think about things, right? Mm. You don't have to hardcore sell people. Selling is really just having a conversation about, here's how I do it based on what I just heard. Do you want to, do we want to partner together to figure that out? And again, sounds easier than what it is, but that's like how I think about it. I think about yeah. the deals that I've closed that are the biggest ones. And yeah, I found the pain points. We found the current state. I was able to find out to help them. But ultimately, it's because like we aligned on where we wanted, where they wanted to go and aligned with where I am taking people. So a good friend of mine, Chad Littlefield, has an expression, which is connection before content. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the, the internet, the social media all say, you know, eight gives before you ask. Yeah, I think it's eight, eight or nine mm -hmm. gives before you ask. So is that the same in sales for you? Is that something you believe in? Because that's, for me, for a lot of people think, oh, really, I've got to give eight things before I can ask a question. But a lot of your thread is keep the conversation going, keep the narrative going about whether this is a pain point, this is a need right the way through. That's a difficult balance, isn't it? Yeah. It is a difficult balance. And in the context of, of what you're saying, is that more so in the content that you're putting in there? Or is it like we're in a discovery call conversation? A bit of both. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's that piece for me in one way. So the way I sell is I almost yeah. have an anti-sales piece, which is, and, and I tell it from a story that I, I was on the south of France on the beach 
And there was this uh, great guy who used to come along. So the African guys get, coming in and selling their wares on the beach. And there was one guy who used to walk along the beach and head towards you and then smile and go, non merci de corps. In other words, no thank you very much and walk on and smile. Yeah. yeah? And so he was almost doing the, the objection before this, the person was going to give him the objection, which was not today. So having done this four or five times, on the fourth or fifth time, you're like, oh, come on, let's have a look at your bags. Let's have, and we actually bought something. So it's that, that ability to, to give, to smile, to build rapport, to not go for the asks immediately. Christoph, who's a, a friend, I think you, you might know him, Save Your Asks is all about networking, Save Your Asks, till you get to the point where it's right to us. So I'm just, I'm interested in that process and how that fits into the sales. Got cycle, it. Willie. So yeah. I think it's the, well, if we're looking at the ask as in like the close, I agree yeah. with that. However, the ask in terms of next steps, that's where I would not agree with that. So here, the, the way that mm. I think about this is at the end of every single call, you need to have a definitive next step. If okay. someone doesn't agree to the next step, they either one are confused, which I've been there, which are like, I didn't make yep. any sense to this person. Probably a bit like this podcast with me asking the questions and you go, hey, where's he coming from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I always ask for clarification for you. Where's he? Where literally? Um, this seems like a self help right? thing for Colin today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, con I'm confused on, on, on that part. But I mean, if you think about like the three things, right? Mm. I think it's one is that like is the confusion part and if you think about that piece it's just like you didn't clarify your point you didn't articulate it in the right way um yeah. the second thing that you can think about is all right i articulated really well but then they're not interested and then mm -hmm. the third thing is you didn't ask right because if you don't ask then someone else might and so i always look at every conversation that you have you probably gave some good insights, you asked good questions, but you need to definitively know what is the next step for us here. And yep. if you don't know that, then that's where it leads into obstacles because you don't know where you're going. So hmm. I do believe that if you are giving value, understand questions at the end of the sales cycle, yeah, you wanna ask, you, you wanna ask for the close, right? Yeah. But you should always be asking for next steps after each call as much as you can. I love that. And I think that's the differentiation is a lot of people see sales as a next step as a sales, but it's yep. not. It's just a building of a relationship and a, a, agreeing. You know, if more people did that in meetings, more meetings would be effective. If everybody says, what's what's our next steps? When are we meeting again? What are we doing? It's the same thing in a relationship exactly. with a purpose. So that's coming back to this narrative, because this is what you're working on now. And you've, you've focused now storytelling narrative. Um, and you've moved away from the sales training. And it's interesting that the sales training didn't do it for you because I think there is a bit of a feeling that you're sometimes when you're doing something, it's not for the right reason. So why the shift from what wasn't working for you on the sales training? What wasn't making it special for you at oh, the time? No one's asked me this question yet. <laughs> I like this. No, I like sorry. this. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't apply. No one's asked me this question. Um, I have thought about it. One is when I was doing the training, I realized I was going through the motions. I think what it wasn't doing for me is that 
it wasn't something that I was willing to go to the next degree to learn even more about. And I realized I didn't want to take it to the next mm -hmm. step to be the best at something. Every time I do something, I aim to be the best at it. If I go back to the example I mentioned on mm -hmm. the company I started with, Collegiate Gaming Land, like I was really good at Halo 2. And so I played it a lot because I wanted to be the best at it. Now, I wasn't the best at it, but I aimed to be the best at it. So I think with the with the sales training piece, I wasn't hungry enough to be the best at it. The, the hunger of that wasn't there for me anymore. And if I do something, that's what mm -hmm. I aim to do. And that's just, that's just me. It's just never going to go away. Uh, it may change. Mm -hmm. the, the lane may change, but the hunger of that to be the best at something that I'm doing, it's not going to go away. And I, and I just realized mm -hmm. that. And I was like, hmm, that's like yeah. really interesting, right? Like I need to tap more into that. Big two, as I was as I was like doing it, I, I felt more excited about the content that I got to do because hmm. of the sales training rather than the sales training itself. Interesting. So I would do the sales training and it was like, oh, that was cool. Like good feedback, whatever. But then if I was like a part of like a creative project that I got to like produce or be a part of, I was way more excited. I was way more ingrained. Heart was way more into it. And mm. I was like, huh, that's like really interesting. So mm. those were like the two big pieces that I saw and me making those shifts. I think also as well, long term, my belief is that the craft of understanding content, how to make it compelling, uh, how to make even great videos, which is like my main philosophy, like trying to be better at video is like my whole thing. I think there's a more of a longevity in that realm than it is just doing the sales training that I was doing for top of the funnel mm -hmm. prospecting, because I think that's fundamentally going to change. And that training won't be as impactful as it used to be. Now, people are saying like, oh, as impactful, it's just, I don't think it'll be the same as when I was training back in like, I don't know, 2018, 2019, right? Mm -hmm. Than it is in the next 10 years. So I also looking at the future and like, well, content is not going to stop. It's mm -hmm. essentially the, the oil and gas station to people's cars and vehicles of revenue. So the more I can understand this, the better I can be moving forward cool i'm just uh, i'm interested now and it's it's a topical question ai chat gpt coming mm -hmm. in content you know everybody's all the content writers are out there going oh do we need them you know coders do we need coders because chat gpt is going to come in and do that what's your views on ai and and working into that creative and content space at the moment so when it comes to that it's it's an accelerator people are afraid of it, I think, for the most part, because they haven't used it. If you start using it, you realize how much of accelerate is. So I'll give you a, a real-time example. I can take a post that did really well. I can throw it into ChatGPT and say, can you memorize the sentiment language of this post and replicate it for the next five posts I'm going to give you? Hmm. So they'll be like, all right, cool. And then I'll be like, thanks. So then I'll put a post in here and say, hey, can you take this structure of this post and replicate it based on the framework that I just did earlier? And it will do that. Now, it takes time to, for it to understand the language. But then once it understands the language, you could be like, hey, write me five posts like this. Mm -hmm. And then I'll write the five posts. And then it's like, hey, here are the five topics I want you to write on. Can you take this structure and then include these five topics? And then it'll do it. Hmm. So it becomes, it, becomes so, really, it becomes really interesting. I love that. And it, and it, for me, for the, the fear of this is it goes into your whole premise that I've been picking up from you all the mm -hmm. way through, which is experimentation. 
you know, using new ideas, using fresh ideas to throw it up, but also the pattern of what works as well. Exactly. Uh, if you already know a post went really well, you could even do it for someone else's post that really will roll out really well. Why would you mm. not try to replicate that structure and then continuously go from there? Mm. So what's your views on LinkedIn then in terms of posting? Because I did a LinkedIn sprint not so long ago and I, I found it fascinating. Just post for every day, 30 days in a mm -hmm. group. You commented on each other's posts, you learned. And it was there was a lot of pictures. And I always remember my, my most liked picture was just the one where I had a lack of creativity in the day. It was a Saturday morning and I posted a picture of a book and said, which voices should I listen to? And I got the most hits on that. But LinkedIn, some people argue, is turning into been the Facebook. Um, <laughs> what's, your, what's your views on that? So this is, I've been doing it for seven years. Yep. And from 2016 to 2019, it was straight tactics. If you were trying to be funny, like it really, it really didn't go far. <laughs> so it was like, here's a tip, here's the tactics, et cetera. And that made my platform massively successful. And my mm. posts were getting, you know, hundreds, 200,000 views. And so that's how I was able to win top sales voice three times during mm. that, during that era. It's because I knew what people wanted, black and white tips, business, et cetera. This is my, this is actually my perspective. Now it's drastically changed 2020, yeah. right? COVID happened. So people really didn't care about <laughs> business advice or tactics. <laughs> they were like, I'm just trying to like something funny. I just need like some like real people. I need some real human stories. Mm. Right. And so I think more people started to share what they were really feeling. And people were like, this is okay to do that. And I think the shift started happening in 2021 where people start, more people started doing it. 2022, it became, the th it came more of a thing in 2023. You're seeing now like the posts that do the best are the personal stories and things that are funny, mm -hmm. which yeah. then people are like, Oh, it's turning into Facebook. Okay. One could say that, but also it's like, why, why would you say that? What is What do you mean by it's turning into Facebook? Like mm -hmm. what, what exactly does that mean? And that's the question I have for people is like, it's turning to Facebook, but like, what does that mean to you though? Mm. And also as well, the algorithm is, is shaped by the people. Now, obviously the company controls the algorithm to a certain degree, but the people obviously are dictating what they like and what they don't like. Mm. And my belief is that people are in a state where, look, 2021 to 2020, early 2022, I was on all these virtual webinars and they gave me all this advice, all these tactics and all these tips. I just want to know who people really are now. What's yeah. your story? What are you doing? What's your personality? How does your business or your tips correlate to your story? Hmm. And if you have something funny, I also want to laugh because everyone right now is getting laid off, et cetera. I need something funny to, to think about. So I think it's just yeah. the current state of like the world more than it is like the platform. I've had these yeah. conversations with other people who have been creating just as long as I have. And we have these same talks. Like someone's like, oh, it's turning into Facebook. And I'm just like, well, like you could say that, but like, is it just because people are changing on the platform and there are mm -hmm. more creators that are coming and more people want that advice on, or they just want something that's more real. Hmm. And these are, these are just my, these are like my thoughts. And even in my own content, I've seen the shift of people don't really want the, the tactics that they used to. It seems that they want something like more personal. Like for example, I shared like, Hey, I want to use on oh, Sunday, random timing. It's like 11 AM. I wasn't even, I was just like, Hey, I think, you know, this might be helpful. I shared a picture of me going to UFC with my dad. I took him for his 60th birthday. 
And it was like mm-hmm. one of the most engaging posts I've had in a long time. And I was like, yeah, just hmm. my dad at UFC. Like, <laughs> like, what, yeah. like why do you, but also why, why, but also it was like, it was the most engaged. So I think just people want to know, like, yeah. who are you beyond your content, which is transparently not mm. how I thought about content for years. So it's actually been a harder shift for me. No. And, and there's a, there's a piece for me cause I'm thinking about my own content, which is what am I known for? And then giving a bit of insight in the background, or do you go for me and the story behind me and then do the content? And I, I think it's a bit of both. And I think you've got to be giving something that people want to follow as well as the, the personal, personal piece here, but you can get your message linked. I think your key point for me was the narrative link to what you're posting about you right. and authentic you is an important bit in there. Exactly. So, Final question for you, sir, on this is you talked about doing something different to be noticed in the sales process. What do you believe is going to be the different thing? Who's going to be the voice and what will they be doing come 2024 in your space? Oh, wow. I guess I guess I'll just give give what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's the future. <laughs> uh, uh, OK, so he, here's here's my here's where I'm at. I mentioned UFC because I love watching UFC. My dad and I started watching it during 2020 or during COVID because there was no other sports on. But you know, Dana White was like, "We're still going to do it." <laughs> right? They went out to they went out to like the octagon out, and I forgot it was like in the Middle East somewhere. So they did that whole thing, right? And yeah. so I'm in a place in a very unique place where I have sales experience, and I also have the marketing experience because I built my brand for the past six, seven years without any like support. And what I mean by that is like, I didn't have like a editor or writers or anything. And like, now I have actually supporting cast, which has been harder to like let go. Cause I've been doing it for so long, but I realized like I needed that in order to do what I'm going to do. Otherwise like I'm going to, I'm going to lose my mind. So my whole point of this is in that I see where everyone's going. A lot of people have really good writing, like mm. copywriting on LinkedIn has really taken over. Uh, and that's been really the main thing. I decided to be different. And in the next couple months, I'm shifting towards more just high quality in-person content. Hmm. And and so I'll, I'll tell you the strategy. I, last Thursday, mm-hmm. I went to my editor's hometown, which is like an hour away from here in Atlanta. And I said, instead of me doing a script or bullet points, I just, and we actually use chat GPT for this. Mm -hmm. We came up with like 120 questions related around marketing and sales because, and I'll kind of go to my UFC point here in a minute, we're around marketing and sales. And they just asked me questions that I just answered without any prep. (laughs) Because my belief is that people just want the raw answer, (laughs) not the fabricated answer. It's like straight from the cuff. And I looked actually at my previous content for the past seven years. The most successful content is where I'm just like, this is just what it is. Yeah. When I don't think about it, where I'm just in the moment, I let it be. And so we got, you know, 120 videos from it. We're still processing from last Thursday. We got 200 photos from it where it's like more of me naturally in my state, which actually the photos came out better than any other shoot we've done. And I've done like eight with this photographer. And mm-hmm. then I'm sending it to my writer and she's going to watch the videos to then get my real voice from it to write more, to write better posts so that we can work together on that. Right. So that I can take that and then we can like really create a a true media engine. I'm saying all this is in that there's an avenue where 
with sales and marketing, I want to be able to do both. I love marketing more. I'm more of a passion for it because I, I like the creative process of coming up with that. But also, I still like sales. It's not like I don't like it. It's just I've mm-hmm. talked about it for so long. I've taken that step back a little bit. And I really see it as UFC is like I'm, I'm in both weight classes, uh, like <laughs> like a Conor McGregor. It's like, cool, I went to this weight class. I did this. And like now I'm going to come to this other weight class and do this, right? And that's mm-hmm. how I feel right now. Uh, however, that's a that's a huge goal. That's an audacious thing. It's very aggressive. Yeah. So it takes time. It takes patience to like really flesh that out and get the right people on board to be like, this is what I'm trying to do, right? Because it's different, right? <laughs> and so that's like how I believe people will be different is they just don't just do writing. They have to be like visually, video and written, and they have to do high quality in-person content. I believe that's what's going to be the difference in the sales space. And I'm just proclaiming like, that's what I'm doing is I'm making it high, 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 high quality across the board. Final question then. What do you mean by high quality? Because I, I think I, you had me all the way through there and then suddenly you, you hooked me in. I was being hooked in and I'm thinking already my imposter syndrome is going. So how do I do, get high quality? Do I need to get a video cameraman, everything else? What do you yeah, mean yeah, by yeah. high quality? So high, high quality to me is something that is it's you like actually in person talking about something okay and so i don't it doesn't mean that you need to get the, the camera crew the things in the world right and you may not be ready for that that that's completely fine more so what i'm talking about is <clears throat> how can you make sure right at the end of the day that it is something that is going to be something that was very thoughtful that's what i mean by mm. high quality is thoughtful yes so yeah I did a I did a week launch campaign. There was a lot of thought that went into that, and so I don't think high quality means that you need to have the best gear in the world. It's just very thoughtful. That's what people ultimately <laughs> want. Is like, are you being thoughtful? Because that goes a long way versus just something you put out there. Because if you're just putting something out there, people can see that now because due to AI. But if I really took if I really took the time to be thoughtful about it, different. Right. And so that's why the yeah. pre-production of something is important and to be thoughtful. Now, the way I'm going about it is being thoughtful by doing content where I'm legitimately in person talking about something. I'm not just like in a Zoom all day long, but mm-hmm. however you want to do it is up to you. But thoughtfulness is the key. Love that. So hopefully some three thoughtful questions to end with, Morgan. It's been a delight to, um, to, to talk to you and, and hear your story. But coming back to the leadership questions. What's one small instant happening in your life that shaped how you lead? Knowing when to leave the conversation. Hmm. So I was on a call with my video team and we were doing the week launch video, like I just mentioned. Hmm. And I got emotionally tied to something that I did, which is what you do as a creator and as a founder or something. You're like, no, this is just, this is it, right? But it wasn't good, right? <laughs> right? <Yeah>. Objectively. <laughs> but I was like, no, I spent time on this. There. Yeah, right. This is it. <laughs> and so they kicked me out of the meeting. They're like, they're like, yeah, you can't be in this meeting anymore. You're being too emotional about it. And it's like hindering us from creating the great product that we need to create. So I yeah. got kicked out. And like, so that's, I was like, what the heck? But I was like, you know what? That's fine. That's why I, got I deserved it. I deserved yeah. it. <laughs> and so I was too emotionally tied. I got kicked out of the process and they end up creating something that was amazing and beautiful. But like, mm-hmm. if I was still emotionally tied to it, we would have had a not, we would not have been good. 
right? Yeah. And so now what I've just realized is knowing when to just leave the conversation. When it's <laughs> like, all right, like these are people that I have brought on for a reason to do certain things. I have to trust that they know what they're talking about for my own best interest. I have my opinions. I have like what I believe to be true. I've objectively been doing it longer in terms of content creation. But sometimes you have to be like, you know what? Like I told y'all what the mission is. I told y'all what the objectives are. Our whole mantra is just be different, be innovative. And you know that. Mm -hmm. So as long as you have my best interests at heart, which I know you do, I have to take a step back out of this process. So knowing when to just leave conversations and letting your team drive it is important. Now, there are some things that you have to override and like, okay, this is a decision you have to make alone. But that in that moment, they were right. And I was being too emotional about it. I love that. I've got a I've got a vision of you stamping your feet as you kicked out the call just initially. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was yeah. pissed. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> I was angry. Yeah, I was not happy. Uh, second question. If you had to disrupt one thing about leaders nowadays, what would it be? Mm, living in the data and forgetting to be human. So what I mean by that is you see objectively the data. Someone is doing really bad. But sometimes the data doesn't tell the true story. Something could be going on. So I was talking to a rep. They weren't really performing well. And I was just like, okay, like, this is like not good. Now, obviously, as a manager, I could be like, hey, you're not doing good. Like, what's going on? I took a different approach. I was like, all right, the data is bad. So before I go into like asking them what's wrong, the very first thing that I did is saying, hey, like, you know, I took some time to listen to a couple calls. Like, can I just go over them with you? Like, see if I can help, right? So we did that. Then the next week still was not implementing it, still was like not doing good. So then I was like, all right, it's not like a skill thing. Like something mentally is going on. So then I just was like, hey, like, just as you know, like this is a safe space between both of us. Like, is there anything that's happening outside of work that could be preventing you from being like successful now? And like, is there something that we could just talk about? Don't have to go too deep, just like what's going on. So happens is that like two weeks ago, she had like broken up with like, or boyfriend, right? And so like that was obviously mm. putting her in a completely different space as as anyone would. So mm. due to that, I was like, all right, like what, you know, how can I support you, right? Is there things that I can do to take things off your plate so that you can focus more on like, you know, what you're maybe you're better at or like how can I support you during this time, right? And so we were able to navigate that and that was really mm. important. You know, I had another em- employee as well. Uh, he was going through <clears throat> a loss of his, his cousin, right? And and so that was really difficult for him. And he wasn't performing at the level that he used to. Now, if I would have saw the data and said, you suck right now, what's going on? That's, he wouldn't have mm-hmm. answered me. I just always approach things as like, okay, there's a downturn here, but something might be wrong with the person. And so you have to be sometimes the ther- the therapist, right? As a manager yeah. and a leader, right? Sometimes you turn into that and you have to understand what's really going on. You have to look beyond the data because sometimes people are just going through things and that's affecting their performance, and mm. you telling them that they're doing bad, that's not helpful. They know they're doing bad. So we already know that. I need to yeah. know what's going on with you so that I can figure out how can I support you. And mm. if there's someone that maybe I can guide you to or, or hey, maybe you need to take the week off and I'll, I'll handle it. You got to come in and be that support. And I think most managers just miss that. They're looking at the data too much. Yeah, agreed. No, I love that. Yeah, no, we got one employee in the moment who was just saying, look, you need some time off. So and I'm paying for it. So as yeah. the leader and the owner going, take the time, get your, you deserve this, go do it. Yes, I love that. Cool. Final question. What's the one leadership habit that's non-negotiable for you as a person? Every night, 
unless I unless I just pass out too early. And sometimes that happens. <laughs> I'm tired, but you know, but mostly every night, uh, I write down what needs to get done the next day. Hmm. So they're like task, task, goals, however you want to describe them, and I put them in my iPhone notes. So I'm just like, all right, I need to like message this person, do this video, write this thing, send this email, whatever it is. That has yeah. actually been really helpful for me because it keeps me on task. So that's another thing that I do. Amazing. I'm going to start there because I don't do that. I have my morning routine. Mm-hmm. Don't have my evening routine. I think it's a good way to just connect in. Morgan, delight to talk to you. Thank you for coming on. If people want to find you, talk to you more, stalk you, whatever it is they want to do, where would they go? <laughs> yeah, well, we, we talked about it a little bit. LinkedIn, Morgan J. Ingram, very easy to find. Um, also, as well, I'm starting to ramp up YouTube. So check out YouTube, Morgan J. Ingram. I'm there as well if you want to see the content there. And then also the company, Essential Media Productions. You can see that on my LinkedIn. Uh, also, you can check it out on the website, ampcreative.io. But yeah, it was a pleasure being on. Delighted that Brian made the connection. It's been uh, brilliant and start of a, a hopefully a very good friendship for both of us. So thank Absolutely. you for coming on. Cheers, Morgan. Cheers. Hey, folks, great conversation. Love the thinking, love how the thinking ties into being innovative. Morgan talking about the content being different, the freshness. And for a lot of us, that feels tiring. It feels inconsistent. But for me, it's it's always that restlessly dissatisfied about the content coming from a different angle. Um, I love his analogy about the four corners of the puzzle that you start with on the sales process. And I love that. You know the next steps ask versus the ask of of the sales piece, and I think there's a a piece for us culturally in the UK, different in the US, but there still is a fear for people about selling, about talking about themselves, about the narrative, about the product, um, and I think there's a lot of we can do around training people how to be confident in telling people about themselves, whether it's in the sales process, relationship process. And then there's this bit about when he talked about the thoughtful piece, I love that, the thoughtful piece at the end around the content is going to be more thoughtful. And therefore, it is how you prepare, how you are true to it. And I always think about Brenny Brown and Simon Sinek and how she gathered a group of people around herself uh, to do some conversations that were natural, authentic, thoughtful around topics that she cared about, they cared about it. And I for me, it's the same thing. So great to hear, great to refresh my thinking around uh, LinkedIn marketing and sales content. Hope you enjoyed it. I look forward to welcoming you on another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast very shortly.